Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Good morning, everyone. Let me invite you to gather back in. And, and just as we're doing that, before we open up the scripture together, I want to just bring a little encouragement to us. How about our time of worship together this morning? Thank you to Heather and Tim, the other guys on the worship team, Greg, Adi. Thank you, guys. It is so good, isn't it, to come and declare together who God is and what he's done for us. Amen? And, you know, for me, the three of the first three songs we sang, I'd never heard before. I'd never heard them before. Maybe you're new here. Maybe those are songs that are new to you, too. And it made me think of this. In Psalm 89, verse 15, the Bible says, blessed are those who've learned to praise you. That's a, it's a simple sentence, but it's pretty profound for us. Sometimes we think we praise God because we're blessed. But here it says, no, the people who've learned to praise God are blessed. How many are blessed here today? Do you see what I mean? There is, like John was saying, it's not just when the music's going on. It's not just when we're together that we praise the Lord, that we give thanks to the Lord. Blessing flows and happens in our hearts and in our lives when we continue to walk in the light of God's presence and we continue to praise and thank him. So one of the things I've had to learn, because it says who've learned to acclaim you, it's not automatic, it's not natural. It is something that we learn to do. I want to encourage you, be willing to stretch in learning to praise the Lord. Be willing to stretch yourself and stir yourself up when it's time to come together and praise the Lord. Because it's like an exercise for our hearts, isn't it? To learn and say, soul, I want you to learn better how to express thanks to the Lord, how to reach to God. When you're in distress, to come to a time of prayer and call out to God. Don't be afraid or ashamed to say, I want to grow in learning to praise the Lord. Because as we learn to praise Him, we grow and we're blessed. And one of the places where I've had to learn is saying, okay, I'm going to dive in to praise and worship with a song I've never heard before, just like I would for my old-time favorite song that I've heard. You know, in some of the places that we've been in different parts of the world, I don't even know what language we're singing in, let alone know the language and know and understand what we're singing. And yet, it's been so good to learn to enter in to praising and worshiping the Lord even when I don't know everything that's going on. Because if we wait until we understand everything to respond to the Lord, hello, we're going to be slow responders. Do you see that? So as we come into the word now, let us pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we want to be a people who aren't just shifting on-off switches in our hearts and lives concerning you, God. Lord, we want to be steadfast and consistent in praising you, in trusting you, in relying on you, and in obeying you. So God, we ask that as we go in your word this morning, God, that you would really soak and saturate our hearts. Lord, that we wouldn't just glance at the information, but that we would be transformed as we behold you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you are new or just been recently coming here to Mercy Hill, we're really glad you're here. And this summer, we've been working through a series that we've called The Mission of God, 
where we've started in some ways from Genesis to look at the heart and purpose of God, to fix what's broken, to make straight what's crooked, and to bring hope back into a broken world. And for these past few weeks, we've been in the book of Jonah. It's a remarkable book that's sort of beyond children's Sunday school and is speaking to our own hearts. A couple weeks ago, we did chapters one and two. Last week, John helped us with chapter three. And so let's just review together so that we're all on the same page. All right, at the beginning of Jonah, what does God ask Jonah to do? Go to Nineveh. Why? Is that where Cedar Point is? No. Was he going there for the air show, air and water show? No, no water in Nineveh. It's in the middle of what's present-day Iraq, and it is a dry place. Now, what did Jonah do? Which way? Did he run to obey? I'm going to get to Nineveh as fast as I can go. No, which way did he go? He went the other way. And remember, some of us were here. You saw the map. He went about as far away in the known world as he could imagine going. He went the exact opposite direction. Five times as far as it would have been was his destination. Did he get there? No. What did God do when Jonah started going the other way? I can't hear you. I'm going to come. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to name names and ask for volunteers. No. Seriously. I, so some of you saw the VeggieTales movie, okay? So I know you know the story. Uh, Jonah's running away from God. What happens? Little storm or big storm? Big storm. Big storm, big problem. All the sailors on the ship throwing everything off the ship trying to keep the boat above the water because when there's too much water in the boat instead of the boat being in the water, you've got a problem. And so which, where does Jonah end up? Not in the boat anymore, but in the water. That's out of the frying pan into the fire, out of the sinking boat in the storm into the water. And then what? Big fish. Okay? Big fish. Does the Bible describe that as going from the frying pan to the fire into worse? No. The Bible describes the fish as God's provision to rescue Jonah from his own disobedience. And while Jonah was in the belly of the fish, what did he do? Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, From the belly of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And many of us have experienced in our lives that when we get swallowed up by an uncomfortable situation, it teaches us to pray. And Jonah cried back out to the Lord. And he rededicated himself to serving and obeying the Lord. Last week, John took us through chapter 3. God gives Jonah another chance. Hallelujah. Have you ever really blown it and then gotten a second chance? It's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to discover that God is merciful, rich in mercy. And so chapter 2, verse 10, chapter 2 finishes this way. It says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I just love that. Have your kids memorize that verse. Put it on your refrigerator, you know? And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God, I don't care how you get me where you want me to go in your will. Just get me there. Amen. And, and then chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Thank God for his mercy. Came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Same commission. Has God's purpose changed? 
Did Jonah's disobedience change the plan of God? No, it didn't. Brothers and sisters, some of us need to hear that today. There were two reasons that God gave Jonah a second chance. I mean, one reason was he didn't obey the first time. If he obeyed the first time, he wouldn't have needed a second chance. Amen? But it's also because Jonah's disobedience did not change the plan and purpose of God for his life. Some of us even sitting here have spent weeks, months, even years running away from God. But God hasn't let you go. And he hasn't given up on his plan and purpose for you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Come on, Jonah, go do it. And for some of us, it's time to respond to what you know the Lord's already said because he's still giving you a chance to do it. So he goes into Nineveh. It is an amazing thing that happens in Nineveh, isn't it? Right? We read through it. We read through it last week. If you weren't here last week, didn't you get the chance? Have a look. Let's review. How do the Ninevites respond to the word of the Lord? They do what? They believe it? John showed us, it's like a crazy street preacher, right? This guy shows up smelling of whale vomit. Well, he probably managed to clean up over the 500 miles of overland walk that he needed to do before he got there. Uh, But the people responded. They honored the word of the Lord. And what did God do? What did God do? He didn't destroy them. He relented and he had mercy and compassion on the people of Nineveh. What's that showing us is not how great the Ninevites were for responding to God, but how great God's mercy and goodness is. That he didn't give the people of Nineveh what they deserved, just like he didn't give Jonah what Jonah deserved. The mercy God shows to the Ninevites, it's not the first appearance of mercy in the book. He's just giving the Ninevites what he gave Jonah already. Just another chance to honor him and do his will. Do you see that? Right? And the, the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time on it. It's like it wasn't hard for God to bring about the revival in Nineveh. Do you see that? The focus of the book is God dealing with Jonah through and through. And so tracing Jonah a little bit through chapter 3... Let's just notice this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. You know, that verse matters too. You could almost overlook it because, well, of course he must have done that because we see everything that happens in Nineveh. But here's this. When God gives us a second chance, it doesn't mean we don't have to obey. It's the opportunity to obey. God's mercy in our lives is not an excuse for future disobedience. Hello? God gives mercy to Jonah so that he can obey, not as a substitute for him obeying. God's grace empowers our obedience. It doesn't excuse our disobedience. It's not a, now you don't have to do what I say. It's no, here is the power and the opportunity to do my will. And so despite Jonah's disobedience, God gives him a second chance. But you and I, just like Jonah, we've got to take hold 
of God's second chances in our lives. And he obeyed and went. And as I mentioned, that was probably an overland hike, uh, a walk there to get there. And on the first day, Jonah started in the city. He proclaimed God's message. And then God just, it just took off. It's like a wildfire. We see that the king got involved. There's no evidence that Jonah spoke directly to the king. The word spread as the Holy Spirit moved. It was a divine action that was out of proportion to Jonah's own actions. You know, Jonah needed to go and speak. It wasn't enough for Jonah just to say, okay, God, I understand you're concerned about Nineveh. I'll just pray for them. Instead, he had to go. And when he went, he got a God-sized response. There was a God-sized reaction to his simple obedience. And and why don't we flip the slides up, Andy? Uh, Let's hop to the third slide at this point. Um, The Ninevites responded with such earnestness and dramatic action yeah, there we go. I really wanted just to show this slide because I remember when John and Larry were showing their own little diagrams you know, earlier on, I just wanted to show a cow in sackcloth uh, because their repentance was so deep and earnest that it says, everyone call urgently on God and all the people from the least to the greatest stopped everything else they were doing. It just gave themselves to calling out to God in sackcloth and they even proclaimed a fast for the cattle and dress the cattle in what? Sackcloth. And they're just desperate to show their seriousness before the Lord. And so the Ninevites, the Bible says, they believed God. It doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. And it matters because what we really need is God's message and God's moving. People don't respond to the Lord because of something we did, but because something God does when we obey the Lord. And so repenting, John was talking to us about this last week, it's more than just words. That's why the earnestness of this matters. It says, let everyone call urgently on God and give up their evil ways. Look, if our so-called repentance isn't changing what we do, it's not actually changing the way I live, then it's pretty superficial. It, say, it says I'm saying I believe something, but if it doesn't get down to how I spend my time, how I spend my money, the things I say, the way I treat other people, then it's just sackcloth on the outside and no repentance on the inside. Getting serious about God involves changing our lifestyles, and God then will meet us by His Spirit. Because that's how the chapter ends, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did, not just heard what they said, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring on them the destruction he had promised. Isn't that beautiful? It's just a marvelous display of the grace of God. but it's not the end of the book. You'd think it would be. I think it would be. Book starts out, Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, we have a little detour while Jonah runs away. Jonah comes back, gets himself right with God, goes and does what God says. 
heads over to Nineveh, proclaims the message. All the Ninevites respond. God has mercy on them. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Shall we have communion and finish the service, right? End the story. That's, that's a great place to end the story. It's a happy ending. Everybody's done what they've supposed to, even the whale. But the book doesn't end there. There's one more chapter. That's why I'm here this morning. That's why you're sitting here and we're looking at chapter 4. Chapter 4. Because God's not done yet. God's not done yet because he's still dealing with Jonah. God has shown compassion on the Israel, on the Ninevites. But God wants to grab Jonah's heart in a deeper way. Chapter 4 shows us that the revival is not the main point. Sharing God's heart is the main point. Let's roll up our sleeves and look here in chapter 4 of Jonah. But Jonah. Do you remember that from chapter 1? If you were here, you will. We said that when the Bible says, but Jonah... It's not a good sign for Jonah because God has just done something wonderful. When God saw the way the Ninevites turned to the Lord, he had what? Compassion on them and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh God, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. How's Jonah feel? He doesn't think the end of chapter 3 was the ending he was hoping for. But Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. Why is, he, why is he so upset? Why is he so upset about it? Well, probably a couple reasons. I mean, think about this. Yeah, I mean, what he's saying is, I knew this would happen. I knew this is just the kind of thing you would do, God. So kill me now. I don't like it at all. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. What do you think God thinks of Jonah's attitude? Right? It it says it there in verse 4. I think we had it here on the slide, right? But the Lord replied. Can we read that together? Come on. Do you have any right to be angry? Now, that's a yes or no question, isn't it? That's a yes or no question, right? So let's try to answer that. Mindy, what do you think? Does Joan have any right to be angry? Jane, what do you think? How many think Jonah had a right to be angry? I mean, what answer do you, expect, do you think God is expecting from this question? Do you think God expects that, yeah, the answer is yes. Jonah, I understand. Yeah, of course you're right to be angry. Sorry for having mercy on those Ninevites and making you look bad. Right? What do you think God's thinking right here? When, Jonah, when God asks this question, the answer is built in, isn't it? 
It's called a rhetorical question. It's the kind of question you ask your children. Right? (laughs) Is it really okay for you to hold your sister's head in the toilet? The answer's built in to the question. It's no. And so, when God asks us a question, it's important that we pay attention. You think about it. So often, we're the ones asking God questions. God, why did this happen? God, why haven't you answered? God, why is this taking so long? When God asks us questions, do we listen? The question clearly begs a negative answer. The the right answer to this question is no. But Jonah thinks he has a right to be angry. He really does. Jonah thinks he has a right to be angry, but here's the fact. Jonah had reasons for being angry, but he had no right to be angry. Think about the difference. Jonah had reasons for being angry, but he had no right for being angry. There's an essential distinction here, and you and I, I do the same thing. I confuse my reasons for having a right. And for Jonah, there's probably a couple things contributing to his attitude here. One is, he thought it made make him look bad. Here I said, God's going to destroy the place and no destruction comes down from heaven. I look like a loser. Secondly, and probably more importantly, Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to receive any mercy from God. He was very happy to receive mercy himself. He was all about God being merciful to him. He wrote a song about it in the belly of the fish. But he wasn't happy when God showed mercy to people he thought didn't deserve it. So, first of all, how should we regard... Jonah's thinking, this makes me look bad. Well, how should we regard the apparent failure of Jonah's prophecy? The guy's a prophet, right? Here he is, predicting it. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Didn't happen. Is he a false prophet? Did the prophecy fail? I mean... And it's important that we understand that the primary purpose of prophecy is not prediction. When God brings a prophetic message, God's primary motive is not telling us something about the future. It is to get you and I to respond in our lives today to what matters to God today. When God speaks prophetically, he is driving to evoke a response in us now not just predict something that may happen later. It's a common misunderstanding. The purpose here was not for God just to have it on the record, I told you it was coming, but to give the Ninevites a chance to respond and to align themselves with God's will and his heart. The emphasis of the prophetic ministry is not on predicting the future, but on producing change in the present. God speaks to affect our actions now. But Jonah thought it made him look bad that God didn't do what Jonah had communicated. Are you more concerned about your own reputation or about God actually getting what God wants? It's easy to start to get concerned about what people think about us and what we've said and how we've stuck our neck out in certain ways. But you and I, we've got to settle some things before the Lord in our lives whether it's something we're speaking or doing 
or even when it's giving money to help somebody and you're hoping that it's going to turn out in a particular way and it doesn't. It matters that we care more about God getting the glory than us looking good or making sense to us. I'd say it this way. I, for me, I will not measure success by how it makes me look. I'm just going to strive for the fulfillment of God's own heart. Can I recommend you make that your goal too? I'm not going to strive for success, measuring it by how it makes me look, but by whether God is getting what God wants. And in that area, God wants something in Jonah's life, in Jonah's heart, in my heart, and in your heart. Jonah doesn't want the Ninevites to receive mercy from God. He's happy to get it himself, but he doesn't want them to do it, to get it as well. That's a challenge. Jonah's saying, God, I knew you were going to be merciful to them, and he doesn't like it a bit. Here's the challenge. Jonah knows just what God's like, doesn't he? Theologically, he could have letters after his name, degrees. He's got the theology down. It's true that we need an accurate understanding of God's nature, but we need something more than that. We need to be willing to line our hearts up with what God's really like. We need to agree with God. It's not enough to know that God's like it. Even the devil knows who God is and what he's like, but he's an out-and-out rebellion against the Lord. And you and I can agree with statements about who God is. And Jesus is the son of God. I know he's the Lord. I know he rose from the dead. I know he's coming back. But if we don't line our lives up with it, knowing it does us no good. You and I have to agree with God. It's no use knowing what God's like if we won't embrace it in our own hearts. And that's the challenge here in chapter 4. We're going to watch how God kind of massages it into Jonah's life. But that's a challenge for us. Because chapter 2 shows us how God can be so merciful to any of us, and we can be so grateful for that. Chapter 3 shows us that he's just as merciful to people we don't like. And here in chapter 4, God's challenging not just Jonah, but you and me, to agree with his compassionate, merciful heart for all peoples. You know, it's just what Jesus said. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So take a look at verse 2. Remember, we just read that verse 2. It says about Jonah, he prayed to the Lord. In this short little book, Jonah prays a bunch. Jonah does. I mean, all of chapter 2 is a prayer to the Lord. You know, more than a quarter, about a quarter of the book is Jonah praying. Jonah does plenty of praying But in this book, he doesn't pray for anybody except himself. How do you pray? How much of your praying is just for yourself or for other people? You can kind of go either way on it. Sometimes, folks, we we pray and we have a list of a lot of concerns that other people have. And it's beautiful and near to God's heart. We also need to bring our own hearts to the Lord and ask him to work in us too. But sometimes we're so busy asking God to do things for us that we're not even concerned about people around us, what they need. 
So how, how does Jonah respond to God getting in his grill with this rhetorical question? Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Let's read and see. Because Jonah doesn't respond in a constructive way to what the Lord's challenging him with. He actually walks off to pout and to sulk. Verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, verse 6 is interesting. It says, Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he says. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though, it didn't, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. There's the cows again. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God says, should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah, you're concerned about the vine. Jonah, shouldn't I be concerned about that great city? God has an interesting way of getting our attention, doesn't he? When we're not listening to what he's saying, he can orchestrate the situations of our lives to get his message across to us, can't he? And so God leads Jonah through this challenging object lesson where he starts out, he just meets Jonah where Jonah's at. Doesn't mean he approves of what Jonah is thinking and doing, but he meets him there. Jonah goes and builds himself a shelter because it's hot in the middle of Assyria. Wanted a bit of shade. And he sat down to watch. I call it Jonah's sulking shelter. He patched it together out of whatever he could get there on the hillside outside of Nineveh. And he sat down to wait and to sulk. But apparently he's not very comfortable, is he? Because what does God do? What does God do next? Elizabeth, I think we're going to need our help. Folks seem to have a short memory here. Help us out. It says, it's right here. Oh, let's go back. A, we can go back a slide. No, Elizabeth, go ahead. Bring, bring a vine across, right? It says, the Lord provided a vine. Splendid. Ah. <sighs> 
That's better. Right? Because the vine provided for Jonah shade for his head, and the Bible says in verse 6, to ease his what? His discomfort. Why was he uncomfortable? I can't hear you. It was hot. I thought he made himself a shelter. Was it working? Apparently not. Because we read ahead in the story, right? When the vine withered and came down, what did the sun do? It beat down on Jonah's head, didn't it? And he grew very faint. So, listen. The things that you and I try to do to make ourselves more comfortable and happy when we're being stubborn in our attitude about God, it's not going to work. It doesn't do the job. All of our efforts to make ourselves comfortable and happy are no substitute for getting our hearts right with God. A heart that's not right with God is going to grow more and more miserable no matter how many toys we buy it. Man-made shelters don't work. We try to build all kinds of shelters for ourselves to ease our discomfort. We're lonely and we go looking for a relationship. The marriage that you're in isn't very satisfying. So you get online and you start exchanging messages with somebody else and it feels more exciting. It won't work. It won't do it. You search for relationships, but somehow the boyfriend, having that girlfriend, it's not enough. We work hard. You even earn promotions at work. Somehow it's never enough. It's because there's only one thing that's going to satisfy. And it relies on us getting our hearts lined up with God's heart. We buy ourselves nice things, take vacations, Come home from vacation just as tired as we were when we went. Because real rest comes from the Lord. God's provided a shelter. It's never going to wither. It's never going to fail. It's the shadow of his wings. By drawing near to Jesus, that's where we find real rest. Jesus took on himself all the punishment of sin. He gave his own life on the cross to take away our sin and our punishment. And when we come near to Jesus, we get down on our knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I need your forgiveness. And he pours his forgiveness into our lives. He doesn't intend for us to get up and walk off on our own to do our own thing, but to stay close to him and be nourished by him and draw on him because his word is our food. His will is our breath. He is our shelter and our refuge. Look at God's mercy to Jonah, though. It's beautiful, isn't it? God provided a blessing to Jonah in his stubborn, rebellious, bad attitude, sulking situation. Listen, brothers and sisters, just because God blesses you doesn't mean that does not mean that he approves of your attitude. Hello? God can do some nice things for us. It doesn't mean that we're doing everything right in our lives as well. Now, Jonah's bad attitude here, it's chapter 4. Does it mean that what happened in chapter 2 wasn't real? I mean, we, 
we could interpret chapter 4 here and say, look at Jonah here. All this stuff he was saying and doing back in chapter 2 when he's in the belly of the fish, calling out to God, thanking God, promising to obey and do what God wants. Well, that wasn't real. No, it was probably real. Just not enough. It's just not done yet. It's not deep enough. God's still at work in him. It was a good start. It's a bad place to quit. Do you see the point? It's absolutely the right place to start, but God's calling us to keep walking close to him, sharing his heart and drawing closer to him. To him, And God has not given up on Jonah. Jonah is being totally unreasonable here, isn't he? I find it a very uncomfortable mirror for me. And yet, God has not given up on Jonah. God could have sent the fire on that, just that one little spot on the corner of the hill. And folks from Nineveh would say, whoa, what was that flash? You know? But instead, God is putting more work into changing the heart of his prophet than he seems to have needed to put in to get the whole city to turn around to him in repentance. God is persevering in the prophet's life. So uh, look at the provision of God. The Lord God provided a vine, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. Jonah liked the vine a lot, right? And then the next verse it says, and then the next morning, at dawn the next day, God did what? What's the verb? The verb there. He provided. So God provided the vine, and then God provided what? A worm. And what did the worm accomplish in God's purpose? No more vine. The provision of God was not only the arrival of the vine, but also the removal of the vine. But God's not done yet. Jonah is not yet fully responding, so God turns up the heat, literally. Come on along. God has something else to provide, right? What does the text say God provides next? Scorching east wind. Is Jonah comfortable now? No. God does turn the heat up in our lives when he wants to get the attention. Right? So he provides by removing and he provides by giving. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And in it, it's all working on him. And so now Jonah's discomfort has reached the point where he's willing to listen a little more. And God speaks to Jonah again. Okay, the sun beat down on his head and he felt faint. Thank you, Elizabeth. And so God brings the word of the Lord again to Jonah a second time. Okay, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? What does Jonah say? Of course, God. Can't you see I'm angry enough to die? You know, sometimes God repeats his questions until we get... God's not changing the question. 
It's up to us to change our answer, isn't it? But God's going through this whole process to reveal Jonah to Jonah. Can I say it that way? He's helping Jonah recognize his own Jonah-ness. And I'm uncomfortable that I have to recognize and admit my own Jonah-ness, my own John-ness. Because God says, look, Jonah, you have been concerned about this vine. You're so concerned about what blesses you. But you didn't plant it. You didn't make it grow. Who did that for you, Jonah? Oh, yeah, I did. And the vine is gone. And you're still concerned about what you feel like you lost. Meanwhile, Jonah, take a look at what I'm concerned about. Jonah, there's something more important than your comfort. Jonah, there's something more important than your blessing. Jonah, there's something more important than your reputation and your own desires and your own dreams and ambitions. There are 120,000 people who are so lost, they don't even know their right hand from their left, and everything they're doing and everything they have is going the wrong direction. Shouldn't I care about Nineveh? Shouldn't I care more about that city? And you and I, you and I, I'm so concerned, I'm so concerned about my blessing my comfort, and God is calling. God's trying to get our attention to say, won't you be concerned about what I'm concerned with? God's concerned about others while we're concerned about ourselves. What's it mean for you and I to be concerned about others like God is? It matters... This book ends with the question. Remember I said chapter 3 would be a great place to end the book, and it doesn't end there? Well, the ending to chapter 4, it's not finished yet. How can you end there? It just leaves us hanging, doesn't it? It ends with a question mark. God's asking. It's the right place for it to end. Because it doesn't matter in our lives, really, what Jonah did with it. God's asking you and me, are we going to share his heart? Are we going to be concerned about the things that concern the Lord? Are we willing to decide about marriage based on how it advances the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus Christ in all the earth, even if it's a very different place to live than we grew up in? a different plan than we might have dreamed of or imagined when we were younger. Is my marriage going to serve the proclamation of the king? Am I going to be concerned about what serves the Lord? Am I going to welcome good for people who may not just be out there somewhere that I think don't deserve it, but may actually have done me wrong in my own family or an employer or people who have hurt me? Am I willing to not be wrapped up in my own comfort, but to seek the good of others? You know, God may not send you to Nineveh. God may not call or send you to Africa or the Middle East. In fact, if God doesn't call you to do it, don't go. 
But God has definitely put people right around us here and now that he is concerned about. It's not enough for us, brothers and sisters, to float down the lazy river listening to Christian music when God's heart is concerned about others who don't even know which way to turn to find Jesus. The message of Nineveh is that the nations are waiting for the word of the Lord, ready to respond and turn to him. While we're, we'd rather just flip on the TV and avoid God's concern and passion for the nations. No, God's leaving the question hanging because he's asking us today, not what did Jonah do, but what will you and I do? So it's a challenge. It's been a challenge for me. We went off and spent two years as missionaries in Africa. We came back home. We ended up in the, the middle of this just diabolical winter. And, you know, the girls had said something while we were in Africa about missing snow. And I apologize to all of you for that. Because uh, we got plenty, right? But you feel like you spend the whole winter indoors. I discovered this spring. I forgot the names of my two neighbors. Now, you know, everybody comes back out, you know, spring, and we're cutting down storm damage and folks starting to mow their lawns and saying hi across the cul-de-sac and across the street. And I got two neighbors across the street. I forgot even what their names are. I had to go look up their names to find out because God cares about my neighbors. It's not, you know, it's not about us being in Africa for two years. It's about am I sharing God's heart now? where I am, where God's called me in my neighborhood, the place where we're living. Now, this book, it shows us God is not just inviting. He is insisting. This whole business of the vine and the scorching east wind, God is not inviting Jonah to share his heart. He is insisting. If you want to walk with me, if you want to say that you are my servant, then you must line your heart up with my heart. God is looking to us, looking for people who are willing to be available, not run to Tarshish when he calls, but say, I'll go where you send me, who'll be obedient to actually deliver his word and compassionate with his own heart. You know, when, when an announcement comes from up front about a prayer meeting tomorrow night over at the Maples house and, and Travis invites us, particularly if you're in distress, come and pray. Let, I'll see that and let's raise it one. Let's say everything in your life is going great. How about you share concern for those who are in distress and come and lift up your voice in prayer for them as well and encourage them. Let's pack out his place tomorrow. Come in and you know, if you say, I don't know what to do with my kids, bring your kids. He's got kids. They'll play together. But come and call out to the Lord together and pray for somebody else as well as yourself. When an announcement comes about Share the Rock basketball camp, are you, are you first thinking, hey, I think my son would like to do that or I don't have any boys, that's not, that's not for me? Or are you thinking, how can I serve and help? Are you thinking, oh, you know what? I always got things to do on Friday, Saturday. We're going to be mowing the lawn. No, God's calling. God is calling. He's saying, will you come up out of the natural human pursuit of what benefits ourselves to feel 
God's own heartbeat because there is no better life. Brothers and sisters, there's no blessing in the vine. The blessing is in sharing God's heart. The blessing is in seeking first the kingdom of God and knowing his heart beating close to ours.